0: We're talking about baptism, we've been in a series, this is number six now, we're getting close to finishing up this series, we're calling it Dunked, and because that's what it is, you're dunked under the water, it's immersion, a type baptism, and today I want to talk about the idea of when do we come in contact with the fullness of Christ, what does it even mean, the fullness of Christ, what Christ has to offer us, that he makes us complete physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, it's all about Jesus. It's in him alone, amen? And so how do I come in contact with that power, that divine power, become a partaker of the divine nature that God has promised me? And that's what we want to look at. I just want to go back to this command given by Jesus. The command is found in Matthew that we are to make disciples of all nations. How do you make disciples of all nations? Well, you begin by dunking them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you must teach them uh, to obey everything, that he has commanded us. That's from Jesus himself. He also says in Mark 16, believe and be baptized, and you'll be saved. So, this is from Jesus himself in terms of what it means to um, be baptized. Now, someone asked a question this week. I want to address it because maybe you had the same question. If Jesus put such a big emphasis upon baptism, why does Paul discount it so much? And they quoted this verse here in 1 Corinthians. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If Jesus commanded us to be baptizing people, why does Paul say it's not important? See, that's the argument. Have you ever heard the word called context? Would you say that if you're reading a letter and you're about five or six sentences into the letter... And it's already been explained a few sentences before what to do that you have to read it in context to get the full meaning of what's being said, right? Have you ever heard of anybody taking anything out of context? So this is verse what in First Corinthians 1? 17. So there's some verses that have preceded this that presuppose the statement that, just, that Paul just made, okay? So I just want us to go back because Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, Not with wisdom and eloquence. But here's the context. Verse 11 and 12. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So what's happening in the Corinthian church? They're fussing and divide among each other, aren't they? There's quarrels among them. What I mean, Paul says, is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Now, I used to hear this a lot when um, I was younger, but people would talk about being baptized. I was baptized by Brother Collins. Or I was baptized by Brother Smith. Or when the gospel meeting came through and and Brother Dale was there, I was baptized by Brother Dale. Have you ever heard those expressions? In the Corinthian church, you had all these different people that had worked with the congregation Apollos and Peter and Paul himself, and there's some other divisions in there as well. And what they're doing is they're saying, well, when Apollos was here, you know, he baptized me. When Paul was here, he baptized me. In other words, that, that's that's the division that's there. So what he says then is the following Is Christ divided? What's the, what's the rhetorical answer? <laughs> of course not. Right? Paul was Paul crucified for you. So it's crazy to have divisions among us about who's better. Was Paulus better than Cephas? Cephas better than Paul? It's crazy, all right. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, what that tells you is that in the church at Corinth, they're practicing what? Baptism. Dunking in the name of Jesus. That's the context here. Paul says, Are, have any of you been baptized in my name? What's the rhetorical answer? Of course not. Why would you be baptized in the name of Paul? You're being dunked in the name of whom? Jesus, all right. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except, boy, that's an important word there, (laughs) except Crispus and Gaius. So what is Paul telling you in terms of what he practiced in Corinth? What did he do? He practiced what? He baptized. Here's a couple of you members. So that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. So he didn't spend all of his time in the baptistry baptizing a bunch of people, but what's occurring in the ministry of Paul when he's there, as occurred in the ministry of Paulus and Cephas when they're there, it's all the same gospel. They're all dunking in the name of Jesus Christ. Right, this is what he's talking about. Now, continue. Oh, yes, by the way, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. That's just like Paul, isn't he? There's somebody else I remember. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. It's not important who I baptized, he's saying, it's not important if Apollo's baptized. It's not important if Cephas baptized. Not, the the baptizer is not the important one. The important thing is that you were what? Baptized, dunked in the name of Jesus Christ. And hence, verse 17 For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Every single example in the New Testament, every single letter, Every single example in the book of Acts, without exception, faith and repentance, calling the name of the Lord, is always linked to being dunked in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, how did it get changed? Did God change it? People changed it. Traditions changed it. I just want to ask you, be honest with yourself. Are you willing to follow after the traditions of men, even if they make void the word of God? There has to be an honest integrity about ourselves of where we sincerely look in and desire to follow what Jesus has called us to do. So now we have this question of the fullness of Christ. What does it mean to come into the fullness of Christ? Well, what have we learned so far? I think you're going to see the same pattern here in terms of the fullness and what that means. We're to put our faith in Jesus, which leads me to repent, to turn around, to separate myself from the world, to follow after God instead of after the world, that I am going to call on the name of the Lord out of my faith and repentance, going to confess his name, and that's going to lead me to be dunked, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I want to come in contact with the blood of Jesus. Water does not forgive me. Water does not make me righteous or justified or sanctified or any of the things. It all comes to the blood of Jesus Christ. So I have to come in contact with the blood of Jesus. And where does that contact with the blood of Jesus come from? Not in faith, not in repentance, not in calling the name of the Lord. The Bible's very clear. It comes when you are dunked in the water. The example last week we used from Hebrews, when they offered the heifer, it was burned. The ashes were put and stored in a container so that whenever they needed pure water, they would put the ashes of the heifer in the water to purify the water. The water without the ashes of the heifer did not make any difference. The blood was also of the heifer stored away so that the people in the temple, in the tabernacle as well, could come in contact with the blood of the heifer. Hebrews says that our hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Christ and our bodies are made pure with pure water. And it's all because of Jesus. We come in contact with the blood of Jesus, and come in contact with his body in baptism. Now, some people say that's a work. It's not a work. It's obedience. There's nothing human about water baptism, other than the fact that it's just mechanical. We get in the water. But if Jesus is not present through faith and repentance, and calling upon him, it's just water. What makes it is the presence of Jesus, the blood of Jesus in the water, the blood of Jesus upon our hearts. That's now placed upon us in the moment of baptism. It's God who forgives us. It's God who washes away our sins. It's God who justifies us. God who sanctifies. It's God who, who adds us to the church. It's God who makes us righteous. It's God who gives us grace. It's God who gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's God who will put us into the fullness of Christ. We're going to see about today. And it's always in that He did this. It's in Him. This is what happened to you. It's not a work. It's obeying what Jesus has called us to do, to enter into the actions of God. So, let's go to uh, this idea of fullness. What does it mean, fullness of God, or the fullness of Christ? It means, do you believe that, here's what it means. It means that in Jesus, we have everything we need in Christ alone. Now, Peter uses it this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness do you believe that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness i want to know when i come in contact with that divine power when i have access to that fullness he continues notice the next verse through these he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may do what participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires? When do I get to participate in the divine nature? When do I now, by the power and the blood of Christ, escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires? When does that take place? And so you see this idea of participating in the divine nature Connected with Paul's concept of the fullness of Christ, when you come to Colossians, and this is where I want to stay for a while, in Colossians chapter 2 and chapter 1 as well. So here's what it says about Jesus For in Christ, all the fullness of what? All the fullness of the deity. Only time this word's ever used in New Testament is in any word deity. All the fullness of the deity lives where? In bodily form. Is there any question of how Paul sees Jesus for who he is? All the fullness of God is there. And in Christ, you have been brought to what? Fullness. The only way I can have fullness to participate in the divine nature that Peter talks about is in whom? Christ. So, how do I get there? Because Jesus is divine, Jesus is also the head over what? Every what? Every what? Power and authority. There is no one or nothing that Jesus is not head over. Now, if you go back to chapter one for just a moment, you see how he brings us out, okay? Notice in chapter one where he says this, the son is the image of the invisible God. Who's he talking about there? Jesus. Can y'all talk or is it just me? Firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were what? Created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus, that's why he's the head. All right, continues. Notice. He is before all things, and in him what? All things what? Hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. See that? He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have what? The supremacy. That's Jesus, all right? For God was pleased, notice, to have all his what? Fullness dwell in whom? Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his what? Blood shed on the cross. How do I have access to the fullness of God in my life? How do I have access to the fullness of Christ? Through his blood that was shed on the cross. He is that that one. So you go back to Colossians 2. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in the bodily form. And in Christ you've been brought to what? fullness get that you don't need anything else you don't need anyone else just in the first century people were saying that that god entered into the man jesus when the spirit landed upon him in baptism and then just before the cross in the garden he parted god parted out of jesus so that god really did not die in jesus was not on the cross through jesus it was a false heresy Others were starting to say, well, you need more than Jesus. You need, you need uh, the Jewish rituals. You need the other things added to it. Today we'd say you need crystals. You need New Age stuff added to it. You need candles burning. You need uh, confession booths. You need all these other stuff. That's not in the New Testament. In order to be complete. And what, Jesus, what Paul says about Jesus is that all fullness is in Christ. He lacks Nothing. You don't need anyone else or anything else. You just have to come in contact with Jesus and the blood that he shed for your sins. And when you do that, you'll be brought into his what? Fullness. He will make you full physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. There's nothing about your life that's immune from Jesus. That's what he offers us. He's the head over every power and authority. Now then, he continues. In him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. The Jews circumcised the foreskin, and in so doing, the men there outwardly were identified in the covenant as being Jewish. And so he's saying here that we go through a circumcision, but it's different than the Jewish circumcision, it's more than just the foreskin. See, in just a moment, it's something even greater. But he says here again, it's not performed by human hands. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, in Romans chapter 2, Paul talks about circumcision. And here's what he says, being connected to the Spirit. A man is not a Jew if he only is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. So what Paul is saying there is quite simply that a Jew just having the foreskin cut does not make him right with God. Although he's in the covenant, he's not right with God. If there's, no, there's not a change inwardly in the heart by the Spirit, then it's of no value. Okay? That's the point he's trying to make. Now, here's what he says about Jesus. See this? Notice the next verse. In him you are also circumcised with circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Christ just doesn't circumcise your foreskin. He circumcised your entire body, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Christ puts to death the self, the flesh, not just one part, but the entire life. Are you with me? Okay, I won't say foreskin anymore today, I promise, sir. (laughs) Although two more times, I might get you real uncomfortable. (laughs) But you're getting the point. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, was put off. See, circumcised. When you were circumcised by Christ. Now, I want to know when I was circumcised by Christ. Don't you? It's a specific point in time when I was circumcised by Christ. When did that occur? Well, he tells you in the very next part of this verse. Having been buried with him in what? dunking, right, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The spiritual circumcision of my old flesh occurs in baptism. I'm buried, very clear there, immersion. I'm raised up out of the water, very clear. It's my faith that's working, that brought me to that decision. The working of God who raised him from the dead. The very God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us up to walk in newness of life as well. Now then, he continues. Notice. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, what did God do? He made you what? Alive with Christ. When were you made alive? When you came up out of the water. You were buried in Christ, dead to the old self, buried to the old self, raised up in the new self to practice the new life, the new community, the new allegiance, the new loyalty, the new repentance, to walk by faith, not by sight, to live for him, to walk by the gift of the Spirit, to be justified, sanctified, all the things that God does for you, forgiveness of sins, grace, mercy, all that's there. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, what a beautiful picture of what's taking place. God made you alive with Christ, Notice what it says. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the what? The charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So our sins are forgiven. Our debt is taken away because of what Jesus did on the cross, shedding his blood for us. Jesus performs a spiritual circumcision on us. When we are buried and raised in baptism. It's just so clear, isn't it? (laughs) There's there's absolutely, in the New Testament, there is no controversy about what it means to be dunked in the name of Jesus Christ. It's just there. Now, when you look at this, and continue. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The very thing that looked like defeat, where they thought they'd put Jesus to death and it was going to end everything, that was the very thing that God used to save the world by the blood of Jesus being offered to sacrifice once and for all for our sins. All right, now then, let's go to Colossians 3, and I want you to notice now the wording here. Colossians 1 and 2 have set the stage of context. And then he begins in Colossians 3 with the word since. What does since mean? Something's happened before. It's connected to what's happened before. He just got through talking about all this idea of circumcision and buried and raised in Christ and our sins forgiven, made alive, the debt forgiven, the debt canceled, triumphed in Jesus Christ, identifying with Christ through baptism, through the burial and the resurrection of, of the water, if you will. So now he says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. When were you raised with Christ? In faith, no. In repentance, no. When were you raised in Christ? When you were buried in the water and you were raised out of the water to walk in newness of life. That's when you're raised with Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. What are you to do from now on? You've come up out of the water. You put your faith in God. You repented. You believe that you came in contact with the blood of Jesus. You're justified, sanctified, made pure. You're washed. You're forgiven. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You give His mercy and all the things that are associated with it. What am I supposed to do now? Set my heart. That heart that's been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Set that heart on things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. He continues. Notice, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When did you die? Did you die in faith? Did you die in repentance? Did you die when you called upon the name of the Lord? When did you die? When you were buried with Christ and in the water came in contact with his blood and his salvation. You were hidden now in Christ, buried, hidden with God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him where? In glory. What happened when you came up out of the water? You're raised to walk in newness of life with the hope, the promise of what? Eternal life, that when Jesus comes back, you're part of that family added to the church, you're going to appear with him in glory as well. One other point, and I'll close. Notice the next verse, in verse 9 rather. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. When was the old self taken off according to Paul in Colossians 2? Spiritual circumcision. Spiritual circumcision occurred when you were buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him. So you put off your old self with its practices when you were baptized. Now what I do? I put on the new self because I've been raised from the water. In contact with the blood, a child of God, saved by the blood of the Lamb, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Jesus Christ is head of over all things. He's power, authority. In him is all the fullness of deity. In him is the fullness of everything from which we all receive our fullness as well. Contact with the creator. That's the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so it's very beautiful to me when you see this idea of, the, of how this is all connected. Martin Luther said it this way. I don't have the quote on the board, but it's just very beautiful in, in what he said. Therefore, let everybody regard his baptism as the daily garment which he is to wear at all time. Every day he should be found in faith and amid its fruits. Every day he should be surpassing the old man and growing up in the new man. If we wish to be Christians, we must practice the work that makes us Christians. But if anyone falls away from his baptism, let him return to it. As Christ, the mercy seat, does not recede from us or forbid us to return to him, even though we sin, so all his treasures and gifts remain. As we have once obtained forgiveness of sins in baptism, so forgiveness remains day by day as long as we live for God. Very beautiful idea. So when I partake of communion and when I think about my baptism in Christ, it reminds me that the old is gone, the new has come. That the fullness of life I search for is not found in self-help books, it's not found in psychology, it's not found in in uh, other people's opinions and advice that everything I need is found in Christ alone. And if I will just give my life to him in faith and repent, call upon his name, come contact with his blood, be baptized in his name, God's action begins to pour out, washing, forgiving, justifying, sanctifying, admin to the church, righteousness, eternal life, grace, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the fullness of life, the fullness of life. To live every day for Jesus. Won't you make that commitment? If we can help you in any way, make a decision for the Lord, we'd like to do that right now as together we stand and as we sing.